You're listening to a message from Southview Church, located right outside of Nashville and Spring Hill, Tennessee. Now here's our featured sermon of the week. Yeah, I'm so happy to be with you this morning. Um, the first service was great, was great. I believe God had something for them, but I believe God has something for you today as well. See, and that's the beauty about the Lord, that he does not leave us out. He has always something for, for us. And so I have the challenging task to bring in John chapter 7 today to you. But I cannot go there without going back to John chapter 6. How many of you were here last week? Do you remember Jesus gets us? And how our society is, try, is trying to perpetrate or portray a Jesus that is complacent, that is okay with the way you choose to live without regards of any accountability or anything like that. But I like the way Pastor Mark uh, titled the message. He said, he gets us or do we get him? <laughs> and I think that on its own is a question that brings a lot of uh, meditation in our hearts. So again, I also liked the fact that he brought it up in such a moment, in such a, a, a moment in our society because we live in a times where people are creating their own Jesus. Yes. And, and Paul actually prophesied about this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, and he's on the screen. He says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to soothe their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths, into myth. So it is not a surprise that the world is behaving like the world. That's why we as Christians, we should know, uh, see that as a something that will have to somehow get our full attention. Yes, we have to pray for the world and all that, but we have to understand that the world is the world. And, they are, and the world is going to behave like the world. So we cannot judge sinners for being sinners, right? So I really believe also that the world or the system of this world have done an excellent job in this agenda of dividing and even uh, creating this idea of well, what we live today is more important that will happen eventually in eternity. I believe that the, 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 the reason or the idea of heaven and life after death sometimes have taken a second place because we are more focused on the things of this world, the pleasures of our life and the desires of the eyes, what is temporary. A lot of people are afraid to die no, because they don't know what will happen after that. They are afraid to die because they love so much what they have. They are accustomed to what they know. And the unknown seems not a good deal for them. So it is my intention today to come against that spirit. Because it is a spirit. I want to come against that principality that governs in spiritual realms, we fight. Our fight is not against humans, against flesh. It is actually against spiritual forces in spiritual realms. 
but we are not alone. The good thing is that we have heaven with us. And the armies of heaven are on our side. I always hear people complaining about, oh, the Lord is attacking me. Oh, the Lord is just against my family. I mean, uh, the, the enemy, the devil is attacking me. The devil is against my family. The devil is against my kids. And we just like highlight the devil so much that we forget that Jesus is on our side and he's doing more for us than what the enemy is doing against us. Not only that, but greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so we should not be highlighting what the enemy is doing. We should be highlighting what Jesus is doing. And so that will shift our mentality and that will shift also our point of view and who we lean to in times of need and trouble. So I really believe that as we declare ourselves in a spiritual war against these principalities, we have to understand that the the battle is not ours. The battle is the Lord. And Pastor Mark, in the devotional this morning, he said, we have to remember that we are in the winning side. We don't come here to see if we can get the winning, if we can get the victory. We come from a place of victory. And so, because we come from a place of victory, we have to approach life differently. The Bible says, because he lives, and then I will not have fear of tomorrow. And so, I can face tomorrow because Jesus lives. Because he is in me. Because I am his son. I am his creature. I am part of his people. I am part of his kingdom. I am part of his family. I have an identity, and my identity is Jesus. So, I will not fear tomorrow. How many of you say amen? Amen. Okay, I'm excited now. That was my introduction. So let's go to John chapter 7. I want to ask you to stand on your feet. And we are going to read verse 1 through 10. John 7, verse 1 through 10. And it says, After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, my, my time has not come yet. But your time is always here. The world cannot hate you. But he hates me because I testify about it. That, that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast. For my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee, but after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he went up also, not publicly, but in private. Hey Amen. You can have a seat. You know, it is important to just uh, mention that in the, in, the, in the original Greek, when Jesus said, to the brothers, you go, I am not going to this feast. He actually said, I'm not going yet to this feast. Because we see in the next verse that he actually went 
to, to the feet. So it's not that Jesus was lying. It's that sometimes the way the interpretation or the way it's written, it might not be clear to us. But as Jesus is there with his brothers in, in, in doing the development of this chapter, we're going to see three different scenarios. And those three scenarios are, then, are, are as following, as they follow. Not even his own brothers believed in him. His family didn't believe in him. The second scenario as we go through the chapter is that there was a lot of controversy about who Jesus was. And then we end the, the chapter with Jesus presenting himself as the living water. So let's rest for a moment in the fact that his brothers didn't believe in him. You may wonder, did Mary and Joseph, did, 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 did they share about the, the way Jesus was conceived? Did they share that he was actually set apart to be the Messiah? The, 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 you know, the one who was to come? Did they share that Jesus was set apart to be a king? Did they share to them the story of redemption? And we don't know exactly how much information the brothers had, but what we know is that they did not believe in him. Now, you have to put your feet on the brothers' position because they grew up with him. So here they are growing up with a guy who never does anything wrong. <laughs> they make mistakes. They get spanking. They get punished. They get timeouts. They, they, they get toys taken out. But here's Jesus. He never breaks anything. He's perfect. Never, no one ever says anything to him. He lives this amazing life. And the only time they actually told him something, he said, woman, I'm about, I'm, I'm supposed to be in my father's business. <laughs> Look at that. What? So here are the brothers building jealousy and resentment against this brother who was special. He got all the attention he got all the, the eyes and all the, the good concepts and the good words from everybody. Was there, Oh, how amazing your son Jesus is, Mary and Joseph. And these brothers were just behind his shadow. So no wonder why they didn't believe in him. Besides, there is no records, indication in the scripture that Jesus performed any miracles before he started his public ministry. Which tells us that they actually knew just a normal boy, a normal human being who happened to be prophesied to be the king of kings and lord of lords, but they didn't see anything supernatural. But then Jesus started his public ministry and then they start seeing things happening. And they're like, okay, now he's just not perfect. He's now doing all these crazy things. <laughs> Look at that. He's healing the sick. He's like, it's like, okay, what else can he do? And so they were full of, 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 of unbelief in their hearts. The Bible said that at some point, they actually thought that Jesus had gone crazy. If you go to Mark, actually, it's going to be on the screen, Mark 3, 21, and, and the verse 31, he says, When Jesus' relatives knew what he was doing, they went to take him away. 
because they said that he had gone crazy. Can you imagine his family going after Jesus and say, you're crazy. You are crazy. Let's go home. But Jesus, in verse 31, he says, Meanwhile, Jesus' mother and brothers arrived at the house where he was, but they preferred to stay outside and send him to call. He said, ask Jesus that we're here and we need to take him. And Jesus said, this is my mother and this is my brothers and sisters, the people that he was speaking to. And so the brothers are here in this chapter a little sarcastic too. You know, it's like they're telling Jesus and, okay, so you think you are the Messiah, don't you? So what are you doing here in Galilee? You should be in Jerusalem causing stir, impressing your disciples and your followers, gaining more following. What are you doing here? And the real conflict in this relationship is the fact that whatever had, was in their mind or in their heart was not pure, was not in reality with good intentions. They were asking Jesus to go to Jerusalem because Jesus, they were looking for Jesus to kill him. They were looking for Jesus to arrest him. But at the same time, they saw the big following and they said, hey, we go with Jesus, we're going to get attention. We're going to see all these people like they're going to, be looking at us like, look, they are with Jesus. And so somehow there was also some, you know, self-desires in them. Perhaps, you know, they were, they saw a way to achieve their ambitions without the need of relationship with him. Maybe they saw the benefit of walking with Jesus, but without any commitment to him. Maybe they saw the way to look good next to him, although inside they were full of envy and unbelief. Nowadays, people come to Jesus for many reasons. And even though Jesus emphatically declares that everyone is welcome, he receives everyone and he will not be casting anyone out. Whoever comes to him, he receives him. But he's also emphatic in defining who he is. He is the living water that brings life to everything that is dead. He is the living water that transforms everything that he touches. He is life. There is life in him. There is health, healing, restoration, grace, mercy, forgiveness, power. His identity. He is just not anybody. He is not just a being. He's not just any person. He's not just any God. He is Jesus of Nazareth, the very manifestation of the deity. So we see the impact of Jesus' life and ministry that even his unbelieving brothers eventually believed in him. The Bible says that actually two books of the New Testament are credited to two of his brothers, which is uh, James and Jude. They were his brothers. Those who never believed in him, who were full of resentment and jealousy, later on, they gave their life for Jesus. The Bible tells us that, or historians tells us that James was actually stoned to death because of his belief and because of his preaching. 
about his brother. <laughs> Talk about saving your family. Jesus saved his family. Isn't he so perfect? Isn't he so responsible? You know, when, when I came to the Lord, I was 15 years old and I was living a horrible life. My dad abandoned us when I was like 10. He separated from my mom. He was an abusive father. He was an abusive husband. And we didn't, have, we didn't want anything to do with him. So my mom, she was alone with us and she had to go out to work to provide for us. And so that left us with no authority in the house. Nobody was watching after us. Nobody was leading us. Nobody was telling us what's good, what's bad. Do this, do, don't do that. And so we had no any boundaries. So we started doing a lot of crazy things. At the age of 14, I was living the life that someone in the world is living at the age of 25 or have lived on up to 25. I had a friend that would come to invite me to church every Saturday. He would come. His name is Rennie. And, and he would come and say, Rafael, let's go to church tomorrow. And I look at him and I say, seriously, Rennie? I said, you want to smoke something with me? You want to drink? And he'll be like, no, no, I just came to invite you to church. But he would insist every Saturday he would come. He would invite me to church. And he would just say, Rafael, let's go to church. I'm here again. And I rejected him and mocked him. I would actually bully him with some of my friends. They say, hey, look, Rennie's coming. Look, look, the, 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 the Bible man is coming. And we would start making fun of him. But he would come. He would still come. He would come. No matter, how, no, many, no matter how many times I rejected him. So he believed that I was going to be reached at some point. And that's the thing about reaching out to people. You know, we cannot judge people just because their life is messed up. You don't know what God is doing in their life. You don't know what is taking for them to come to a place where they actually would need Jesus and their life will be completely transformed forever. And so what I ask you to do is to do what Rennie did. My friend Rennie, say with me, Rennie. Run the R, Rennie. There you go. So my friend Rennie, he was patient. He endured. He believed. And even though I mocked him, I didn't know. Little did I know that in a few months or a few years, I was going to be worshiping his God in his church, reading his Bible, glorifying his God. And his Lord will be my Lord. His people will be my people. Little did I know that that God that I was mocking was going to take hold on me, was going to transform my life forever. In that church, I, I knew him. I met him. I grew up in that church. I, I, I discovered the passion for, for his word and for music, for worship and everything. You know, Jesus, his brothers didn't believe in him, but he was patient. And he continued to share with them who he was. He didn't let them do something emotional. They were emotionally driven. You know, they were telling him, hey, this is your moment. Because Jesus told them, your moment is always at hand. 
It's like you are emotional. You make emotional decisions all the time. That's why you are in trouble all the time. You know, a lot of people go through different situations, frustrations, sadness, uh, excitement, and they make decisions when they are under emotions, and most of those decisions are wrong. Because when we make decisions based on emotions, emotions are temporary. And sometimes we make permanent decisions over a, a temporary emotion, and then when this thing happens, we look back and we're like, what do we do? I see divorces, marriages falling apart because of a temporary situation. We need to learn and grow so much, right? So if you have family members that don't believe in Jesus, if you have family that are not reached yet, be patient. But don't lose hope and don't judge. Pray for them and believe for them because eventually, eventually the God that saved you and the same blood that covered your mess will cover theirs. And eventually we reach them and they will come to know the Lord. And some of them we have even greater testimonies than yours. That's the thing about God. You know, like the two brothers, uh, these brothers stayed at home with his dad. But then the prodigal son left. And he looked like he got lost. And then he came back and he was jealous because he came back. And the father was accepting him, receiving him. And then the father started, like, he killed the, the, the fatty calf and he did this amazing feast and, and, and party. He said, I have been always with you and you have never killed a, a calf for me. And that is jealousy. You know, I love what the father answered to him. He said to him, everything I have is yours. In other words, you would have had the fatty calf any time. So don't be jealous because your brother is hungry of something that you have gotten familiar to. I don't know if I can move from there. That was God. I'm just going to see it here for a second. So don't be mad at me because I'm giving my heart out for Jesus. Don't see those people who worship extravagantly. They cried all the time. You look at them and there you go. She's crying again. <laughs> you don't know. You have no idea the cost of those tears, of those praise. You have no idea of those, the cost of those hands raised to heaven. You have no idea of the history. So don't be the brother who stayed. Be the prodigal son. Enjoy your father's house. Enjoy his blessings. Be okay with that. So here we move on. We move on because Jesus didn't end there. He went actually to, the, to Jerusalem. 
And, and he was part of this whole feast that lasted seven days. And then he started preaching in the temple. And people started talking about him. And there was confusion about who's, who he was. People were questioning and they were asking and they were divided. Many people believed that he was a good man. Many people believed that he was deceiving people. Many people believed that he had a demon. All the people believed that he was the prophet and some others believed that he was the Messiah. And many people had a lot of concepts and their own conception about Jesus, but Jesus was not defined by what people thought about him. And you know, that's the thing about us, that sometimes we, we want to title Jesus, we want to define Jesus, and we want to say we know him, but we have no knowledge of who he actually is. And Jesus is not going to conform to you and to the way you perceive him. The opposite, the Bible says, do not be conformed, but you be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So it's not him conforming to us, it's us conforming to him. It's not him trying to fix the box of the knowledge that we supposed to that we're supposed to have about him is us opening our heart and our mind to the vast revelation of his presence as he see his identity. So Jesus was there and there was a lot of confusion. But the answer to all these questions is amazing because Jesus penetrates their hearts when he brings the real matter, the real situation. And I believe that this is something that we have to also sit on. He says that the wrong conclusions about who he is do not come from inadequate evidence. It was not about all the evidence around him. It was about the unwillingness to submit their life to Jesus. In that posture, that attitude, that pride is what is robbing people from enjoying the presence of Jesus. So religious leaders had issues with Jesus because of his teaching. The words that Jesus spoke were like spears penetrating the hearts of men. They recognized that Jesus spoke with a different authority, with a different wisdom. Not the wisdom of man, but the wisdom from God. And because of that wisdom was foreign to them, Instead of trusting in him and accepting his teaching, they rejected him. They questioned him. They were too attached to the religious life and way of thinking. They were too attached to their dogma. They were too compromised to their beliefs that they did not see that the very word that they thought they knew was in front of them in flesh. So they said to him, with which authority do you teach all these things? And Jesus said that his authority was not of his own, but on him, of him who sent him. He said that his words were, li were life and truth. Jesus was hated because he represented the light and because they were all in darkness, their works were being exposed. And sometimes we don't want to be exposed. So instead of embracing that, they rejected the light because the light of 
this man who was Jesus was bringing them to the end of themselves. And that is what Jesus causes. He brings us to the end of ourself. The lie will reveal, the light will reveal the motives and the intentions of our hearts. Nothing to hide in front of Jesus. Nothing to pretend. Nothing to lie about. He knows you. He knows your heart. He knows the intentions of your heart. So Jesus, the light of the world, exposes the evil deeds of the heart of man. And the reason people rejected Jesus is not so much for the lack of evidence or the lack of logic. If you hear the arguments of atheists and the people in the world who question the existence of Jesus or the faith in Jesus, they go to the evidence and to the logic. But in reality, they reject Jesus because they know is they accept the fact that he is who he said he is, they will have to then surrender to him and be accountable to him. And that doesn't sit well with many people because we don't want to be accountable to anyone. We have a hard time being accountable to our parents. We have a hard time being accountable to our leaders in church. We don't like anyone to tell us what to do. A lot of marriages have issues because don't tell me what to do. I know exactly what to do. And that, the root of that is pride. It's pride. So they rejected Jesus. And I believe it's because the egocentric lifestyle that the world has ingrained in our society is the stronghold that keeps men bound to sin. But here's the good news. Once you admit and you acknowledge that Jesus is God, and that he is everything he said he is, and you are willing to follow him, he will give you all the evidence you need to know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The easy part is to get the evidence. The difficult part for us will be humbling ourselves before the Lord. Oh, how many of us need to humble ourselves? You know, a lot of things we're dealing with, it's not because the enemy is attacking us. It's because we are too prideful to let God be God in our lives. But Jesus offers us him. Here comes Jesus towards the end of this feast. And I have to describe this feast to you in the time I have. You know, they were celebrating uh, or they were remembering there are times in the desert they will build tents. They will build tents or little tabernacles. And they would live in the desert. And, 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 and then when they were dying, because they couldn't, they, they, were, they didn't have food, they didn't have anything to drink, they, they came to, to Moses and they said, Moses, give us water so we might drink. And, and Moses brought that complaint to God and God told him, Moses, go and hit this rock. And when you hit this rock, this rock is going to provide water to you. And you know, I was reading as I was preparing for this um, we, we, we only see, you know, that the rock provided water, but we don't see the magnitude of that miracle. But God highlights the miracle in other portions in the scripture, and, and they are not in the screen, so I'm just going to read them to you. But in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 15, they were reminded that God brought water out of the flinty rock. 
In Psalm chapter 78, God said that the water was in abundance like the ocean depth. In Psalm 78, 16, it says that it was like a river. And in Psalm 78, 20, it says that it was a gusher, an overflowing stream. Some theologians think that for the whole time that they stayed under that mountain, they were, that water was flowing out of that rock constantly. So when God opened the rock, the water gushed out like a fountain, became an overflowing river. An overflowing river, like a, like a sea, like a lake. There was splashing, swimming, soaking, a very, uh, every imaginable, imaginable joy in this amazing miracle that God performed. So now Jesus come into this feast and he is right now celebrating. This is the last day of the feast. The priest, all the expectations is in the closure. The, the last day was the most important day. So while the priest poured water, the people anticipated also the coming of the Messiah by reciting these words of Isaiah 55.1. And you'll see it on the screen. And these words were recited on the last days. And he says, come all of you who are thirsty, come to the waters with joy. You will draw waters from the wells of salvation. They were referring to the Messiah. So on, that, on this day, the, the priest ascended to the platform and he held a container full of water and he raised it slowly as according to the cries of the people. So the people were like, oh, 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 oh. And the, and the priest was like, oh. And the excitement was being built up until the end he was going to pour the water and everybody was going to pour the water in the floor of the temple and there was going to be a lot of splashing, a lot of water, symbolically what the Lord did in the Old Testament providing. So in this amazing moment, this excitement, all of a sudden, when the priest was about to reach its peak, Jesus stood up and with a loud voice, he said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Many people will say Jesus was interrupting the party. But no, he was announcing its fulfillment. Because he was the rock. He was the water. Jesus is the provision of God for you and me. In him we live. In him we move. In him we have our being. He is the rock that will be struck at the cross for our sins. He is the rock that if we accept him, accept it. It will provide water and it will be rivers of living water that will flow for eternal life. The grace of God is still gushing out of Jesus because he is the rock and he is today telling you, if you are thirsty, come to me and I will give you water. You will not thirst again, but you will be filled. And as I'm closing, I'm going to ask you to stand on your feet. The verse 39 of this chapter 
explains clearly that Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit that will be given to believers after Jesus was glorified. Did you know that you have that river of living water in you? If you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have that river of living water within you. And that river of living water is more than a, more than, than, than a gift, talking about the gifts of the Spirit. It's more than just the gift of tongues or the gift of prophecy or the gift of discernment. That river of living water, it is your identity. It is who you are. In Him, you are fully provided. In Him, you are fully equipped. In Him, if you need healing, He is your healing. He does not provide you healing. He is your healing. If you need a miracle, He is your miracle. If you need breakthrough, He is your breakthrough. If you need restoration in a broken relationship, He is your restoration. If you have Him, you have the power of reconciliation within you. So Jesus comes to you and tells you, I am the river of living water flowing through you. Whatever you need, come to me. Thank you so much for listening to this message. Southview Church is a non-denominational, multi-generational, multicultural community of believers passionately pursuing Jesus, family, freedom, and unity in the body of Christ. If you would like to connect with us, visit us at southview.cc and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.